I don't know about you, but I am really enjoying the book of Ezra. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, I had never preached in it or through it, and now we're making our way through it. I ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4. When you get to Ezra chapter 4, put your finger on verse 1, and we will join you there in a minute. If you're using that pew Bible in front of me, it's on page 5 in front of you. It's on page 538. Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. On Monday of this week, I went for a run, and I ran four and a half miles, and right now some of you are saying, okay, so Jeff ran. No big deal. Jeff runs all the time. Well, truth be told, I used to run all the time. I could run many miles per week, and it was all so easy and effortless at least as far as the running went. I didn't have to think about doing it. I would make time for it. I would prioritize it. And I didn't allow anything to keep me from my runs. This week, that run on Monday, that four and a half miles was hard. And it was the longest run that I have had since November. And these days... Almost anything can distract me from a run. Part of me wants to do it. The other part of me doesn't want to do it. At times, I miss it. At other times, not so much. And I'm faced with, what happened? Well, the short answer is, life happened. Age happened. Cancer happened. Fitness drop happened. I've told people for years that I was afraid to stop running because I thought that stopping running was the most dangerous thing I could do because once you stop running, the ability to start running and again and getting back to where you once were is hard, maybe impossible. I stand at the intersection of quitting and keeping at it. Now, I ran Friday because I wasn't going to not run on Friday. I'm going to have to figure out how to get back at it. Now, set aside running for just a second because you're going, Jeff, that's not really a, that's a first world life problem, right? That's Jeff. You got to deal with that. But set aside running. Have you ever seen something in your life? Take a back seat. Have you ever seen something that used to be important in your life? Something that used to be in the front seat of your life, have you ever seen it become unimportant? Have you stopped ever doing something knowing that you should have kept doing it, but yet you've not been able to? And that's the backdrop that I want us to read together from the book of Ezra. So I ask you to stand with me. We're going to read from Ezra chapter 4. I'm going to read the first five verses of Ezra chapter 4, and then I'm going to skip to the last verse, which is going to be verse 24. So Ezra chapter 4, picking up in verse 1, reads as follows. 
Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you for we seek God as you do. And we sacrifice to him since the days of Asarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's houses of Israel said to them, you may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purposes all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now move over, flip the page if you need to, to page to verse 24. Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased. And it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now keep your, keep your scripture open, but you may have a seat. We're going to talk about this just a little bit. In Ezra chapter 1, a couple of weeks ago, in verse 3, the children of Israel were given their freedom to return to Jerusalem by King Cyrus to rebuild the temple. God had told them earlier through the prophet Jeremiah that they would one day return home and rebuild the temple. King Cyrus had given them the command and that they also believed that this was God's purpose for them. And we talked a couple of weeks ago how nearly 50,000 Jewish people or with them departed Babylon for the difficult work of rebuilding the temple. We talked how this unified them last week in worship and praise of God. Remember how we talked about how they built the altar. Above all things, they made worship and praise their baseline because losing your worship and your praise of God creates a slide effect where everything can become a challenge. And in Ezra chapter 3, verse 8, they began the work of rebuilding the temple. That is a quote from Ezra chapter 3, verse 8. So the children of Israel have all the momentum in the world. Things look bright. They've gained their freedom. Cyrus has let them go. Cyrus is paying for it. They've gotten back home for three months. They've now come together unified to rebuild. They've got the altar set up on its basis where it's supposed to be. They're worshiping, they're praising, they're beginning to do the things God calls for them to do. And then they start, Ezra 3, 8, to begin to rebuild the temple of God. They've got it all going for them. Everything looks bright. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, whoo, finally, I've come through whatever that was. It's smooth sailing from here on out. You ever faced that before? You fight, you fight, you look, you look, you wait, and you finally, oh, there it is. It's all good. You know that feeling. We have felt it before. And then in your life, as in my life, as in their life, that bright opportunity turns into Ezra chapter 4. So as the Jews begin building the temple, we see in verse 1 of Ezra chapter 4 that they encounter adversaries. That's the New King James word that they're told, they're adversaries. 
An adversary is one's opponent in a contest, a conflict, or dispute. Now, we can understand this word, by this word, that the people in that country were not happy that the Jewish people were back, that the Jewish people were beginning to rebuild the temple. Now, we've spoken over the last couple of weeks as we've been working in Ezra up to this point about how God calls his people to do the difficult work, how we are called to the narrow path, the path that leads to righteousness, not the wide path that leads to destruction. Church, I hate to say this, but there will always be adversaries in your life if you choose to live for Jesus. Now, you might be able to become adversary-free if you set down your following of Jesus. But biblically teaching, if you're going to live for Jesus, you are going to face adversaries. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, let me just be really clear about what that verse just told us. Your adversary does not care about you. They don't care what you stand for. They don't care what you're about. Your adversary, the devil, all he wants to do is stop you from doing what God has called you to do. That's all he wants to do. And he'll do anything he wants to. He'll sometimes raise you up. He'll sometimes lay you down. Whatever it takes. But his thing is not about you. It's about his contempt for God and his desire to separate God's people from bringing glory and honor unto God by doing the things that God has called them to do. And today's scripture is going to show us just a couple of of, of strategies that the adversary will use to stop you from living for Jesus. Look in verse 2. It says that they, that would be the adversaries, they came to Zerubbabel. Now, I wrote that earlier this week, but I was looking at it this morning, and I had to make a note beside it because I've seen this firsthand this week in the news, and I've seen it firsthand in other places in other topics. But the adversary first went to the leader. Church, I need you to pray for me. I don't have a confession to make before you. I don't believe I have done anything that would cause me to dishonor the glory and honor of God nor the call of the ministry on my life. But I will tell you this that I am just a man. I am weak. I am frail. I have my own adversaries, my own struggles in life. And it makes logical sense that if the adversary can topple the leader, he topples a lot of us. Now, I'm not claiming any position except what God has put me in. But I am telling you that I covet your prayers. 
but he came to the leader. And they said, the adversaries to the leaders, both the civic leader, Zerubbabel, and the spiritual leader, Jeshua, they came and they said, hey, let us build with you. You know, that's a great thing. Seems like a great idea. Hey, well, I'm doing yard work. Can I help you? Yes, come help me. Why would we not want people to help us? They go, let us help you. We seek the same God as you do. Now, you know, that's interesting. I'm already on alert right here, church. Be ready, because Scripture has already defined them as the adversary, but yet they're approaching the leaders, and they're saying, let us walk with you. Let us help you. That's a strange way for an adversary to approach. Church, let me tell you what it's called. It's called compromise. You may say, what's wrong with allowing people who serve the same God we do to come along and help us build what God has called us to do to help us? What's wrong with that? Well, let me give you just a little bit of a history lesson. You see, God's Word gives us history pieces right here. If you'll notice in that verse, it talks about when they said, we serve the same God you do, and then they bring up Esarhaddon, the king of Assyria. Esarhaddon, Assyria had been a world power for many, many years. They're not Persia any longer because Persia is the big boy on the block, but Assyria has long been. And Assyria's process is that they would forcibly remove people from where they lived. We've seen this with Israel and Babylon. And they would relocate them to other places. And these people tell us that they've been relocated here by Asarhaddon. As each people group was relocated, they would take their own beliefs, their own gods, their own practices, their own religion with them to this new territory. But if you've noticed in Scripture, every place in Scripture that we read that you go to, they have their own gods and their own practices and their own religions. And so it's interesting, biblically speaking, that so many times people see their religion as territorial. And so what would happen is that these people that were relocated, they would hold on to everything that was theirs into this new relocated place, and then they would be relocated into a new country where there would be religions and gods and, and processes to go through, and over time they would begin, and we've seen this truth come out in Scripture, and in time, they would begin to embrace a couple of those and a couple of those and a couple of this, and the next thing you know, they're a conglomerate of belief structures. Now, if you don't know that to be a true statement, all I ask you to do is look around and talk to people. As America has become a melting pot of people and cultures, have we not also become a melting pot of beliefs and religions. And Scripture is always a great tool. You don't have to write this Scripture down. I mean, you need to write this Scripture down. I'm just going to read it to you so you don't think, well, Jeff's just making some kind of editorial comment about religions. 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 32 through 34 says this, 
So they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. To this day, they continue practicing the formal rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law or the commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. These adversaries, they're claiming sameness, but they're not living sameness. It's called compromise. They spoke like they served God, but they did not. And compromise as it relates to the truth of God, the commands of God, is very understated in this word, dangerous. Church, can I tell you that this word of God is his revelation of who he is to us. It is and should be the authority in your life. And if you are asked to do something, asked to believe something, anything that is counter to what this says, you need to say what the Jewish people said when their adversaries said, hey, let us walk with you. They said, no way. I'm afraid, church, we don't say the word no way a lot. We try to be politically correct, and we try to be okay with everything and allow people to have theirs. Can I tell you what's going to happen? If we, the church, do not step up and honor and allow the Word of God to be the authority in our lives, not only are people in this world who do not believe this going to die and go to hell, we are going to compromise. Have you ever found yourself someplace you never intended on being? Compromise. Had these people allowed to build with them and commingle with them, then their beliefs and their lives would begin to commingle as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, a very simple verse that might find its way into the memory verse of this weekly church family thing that we're doing. But 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says this, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. As your grandmother said, if you're going to lie with the dogs, you're going to get, please. We get it. We laugh at it. We have these sayings, but yet we don't always fiercely fight for the truth. Not only would their involvement compromise the people and therefore the integrity of the work, it would have a long-term impact on the country. Cyrus had commanded them to build, and they believed that God had called them specifically to rebuild. Compromise will cause you to set down your God-called responsibility. All under the guise of, hey, can I help you? Are you being challenged to compromise in any area of your life? Verse 3, Zerubbabel and the people said, no, thank you. 
God has called us to do it. The king commanded that we do it. And the adversaries then showed their true motives. Look at verse 4. It says they tried to discourage the people. How quickly they went from being helpful to attacking. And their desire was to discourage the people. Verse 4 says that they also troubled them in the building. And verse 5, they hired counselors against them, professional troublemakers. They hired them. And their job was to don't let them build. Whatever you got to do, just don't let them build. Discouragement, troubling, frustration, day after day after day. Verse 5 said that they did this for a long time. Let's talk about how long for just a second. It said, all the days of Cyrus, even until the reign of Darius. Now, we're going to talk about that here in just a second. And you're going, Jeff, I never was good at history. I don't need you to be good at history, but I do want you to be knowledgeable of the Word of God, and the Word of God gives us a lot of history so that we don't have to repeat it. Look at verse 24. Thus the work of the house of God ceased. It stopped. This troubling, this discouragement... It's constant, day after day, month after month, year after year, we're going to find out troubling caused them to cease. Have you ever undertaken a hard thing? I mean, you knew going in, it was going to be hard. Have you ever compromised and after the fact looked back, looked back and wished you hadn't, that you saw were compromised hurt you? Have you ever been discouraged? Or let's bring it into the present. Are you currently discouraged? Are you currently troubled? Do you feel as though your adversaries just will not give you a moment's peace? Have you ever just quit. Just given up. Just quit. Perhaps you're sensing through the truth of God's word, because this is pretty heavy, and the movement of the Holy Spirit of some things that in your life you have left undone. Things that you should return to doing. Now go back to Ezra chapter 4, verses 6. I want to tell you why I skipped verses 6 through 23. Now, I'm not going to preach them to you, but I am going to help you understand why. Ezra chapter 4, verse 6, it says, In the reign of Asahurus, church, historically speaking, that is also Xerxes, they say that there were accusations made against the Jewish people. Verse 7 says, In the days of Artaxerxes, which is not Xerxes, it's an entirely different person, says that three men, if you read, you can see their names right there, and companions wrote a letter to the king complaining against the Jewish people. And in verses 8 through 23, it says, in the days of Artaxerxes, Rahum and Shimshay wrote a letter against Jerusalem. Three times, 
And that's not even because of the discouragement and the troubling of the professional troublemakers. You see, it's interesting. When they mention Azahurus or Xerxes or Artaxerxes, what they're doing is giving you a date stamp as to when that occurred. Now, I want to provide you just a little bit more insight as to why that matters. King Cyrus, who's the one who set them free, defeats Babylon in 539 B.C. Now, there's not going to be a test after this, but there is a spiritual lesson you're getting ready to learn if you'll just stay with me for a second. In 539 B.C., Cyrus defeats Babylon. We've already studied that in the first year of Cyrus, so that would be 538 B.C., he allows the Jews to return home to rebuild. We talked about how the rest of Cyrus's reign unto Darius, but if you go back historically speaking, Cyrus did not die and Darius take over. There was a king called Cambyses who ruled Persia from 530 to 522 B.C. And then Darius I rules Persia beginning in 522. And so if you bring it all back, Xerxes, who we mentioned here in verse uh, 6, Xerxes ruled from 486 to 465 B.C., and you'll know Xerxes because that is the king that Esther ruled with in the last 15 years of his reign. Gives you a little date stamp. And then Artaxerxes ruled Persia from 465 to 424. And you're going, Jeff, enough with all the dates. What does that mean? When you hear about Asahurus or Xerxes, you need to understand that that happened way after the rebuilding of the temple. When you hear about Artaxerxes, you need to understand he was the son of Xerxes, which means that it happened even many years after this happened. And those, so these activities that happened in verses 6 through 23 with the date stamps of the names, they happen 52 to 114 years after verse 5. And you're going, Jeff, so why are they in there? Well, that's the same question I ask myself. Why are they in there? Well, God wants us to know something. And let me tell you one of the simple things. I like being simple. What God is telling me and you and them is that your adversary is not going to quit. Look, you can try to build the temple, you're going to face adversaries. But you can finish the temple. Then you're going to try to build the wall, you're going to face adversaries. You're going to try to build the city, you're going to face adversaries. Whatever you do in life, if you are seeking to live for God, you're going to face adversaries. And in that chapter right there, 114 years of history, and they faced adversaries all along the way. So if you're waiting for that moment when everything can become sunshiny and bright and smooth sailing in life, and you're committed to living faithfully, for Jesus, it's not coming. And many in this room just got discouraged. 
We're going, Jeff, well, what's the point? If it's never going to be over, what's the point? The point is we are called to live for Jesus. God's call. He loved us and sent his son though that we might be made right with him. Our adversary will not stop until the Lord returns. Every day we will be in a spiritual battle. Every day we will need to decide if we are going to be faithful or compromise or quit. And right now you find yourself, every single person in this room that claims to know Jesus, you find yourself in one of those places. You're either being faithful, you're being challenged in compromising spots, or you've just plumb quit because of the constant trouble and turmoil in your life. I want to encourage you, church, out of those three options, be faithful. It is the only God-glorifying way to live. And I believe it is the only abundant way to live, that your life will be great. That was just an insight on history, how it's going to keep coming. But in this second insight, in chapter 4, 24, we'd read this verse, tells us that the work of the temple was discontinued until the second year of Darius. Well, I did my little math. That means that the work of the temple stopped for the remainder of the reign of Cyrus. It remained stopped during the eight-year reign of Cambyses. And then it remained stopped for the first two years of the reign of Darius. Church, by my study and by account, history looking, the work of the church, the work of building the temple of God stopped for 18 years. Have you ever been reminded of something in your life and you go, wow, I can't believe that that was 18 years ago. We were just talking, Angela's parents were in and we were talking, and it's funny, when you get around family and you talk, you talk about stuff that happened way back when. And you're amazed. One of the things we talked about is that we moved from Johnson City, Angela and I and a little bitty baby, 30 years ago. Wow. We've been here. This has been my church home. You have been my church family for 25 years. Wow, time can pass. Even when we quit. Time passes. 18 years, no progress on the temple. The one thing they were called to do by God, the one thing they were given their freedom to do by God, the one thing they were unified around, the one thing they held in such high esteem that they weren't going to let anybody else help them, that one thing, they quit. 18 Years. They allowed compromise, discouragement, fear, and trouble caused them to quit, to stop. And here's where I want to put a bug in your ear, a point for later. Or did they? Just hold on to that thought. Or did they? Now, if you've got your scripture open, you're probably looking at Ezra chapter 5. Verse 1. Let me read it. 
Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edu, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Haggai is brought into the picture now, and he's challenged by God to speak to the people. Now, you want to make notes. Write these notes down. Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Now, it's on page 1089 in your pew Bible. But it's also going to be on the screen. So I'm going to read. I want to read Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. This is what God said the people needed to hear through Haggai. You know, I started thinking, you know, I hadn't preached in Ezra or through Ezra. And now all of a sudden, God's not only got me preaching in Ezra, now I'm going to Haggai, and I hadn't been in Haggai before either. Let me just tell you that the authority of the Word of God is every word in here. But Haggai chapter 1, let's read the first 14 verses together. It says, in the second year of King Darius, do you notice that's the same time, right? In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel. You notice that's the leader. The son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. That's the spiritual leader or high priest saying. Verse 2. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Church, catch this. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and on the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Those are the exact words of God to his people. As God recognized that the building of the temple had ceased for 18 years. But listen at these clear statements God made in there. I just wrote these couple down. God says, while my temple is still in ruins, you're living in paneled houses. 
Now, let's just stop for just a second and understand what that means. Remember, they came back when they first got here and everything was in ruins. They got three months at home, and you know it had to be horrible. But now, all of a sudden, horrible has turned into paneled houses. Nice, improved. Chip and Joanna Gaines, right? They got it all fixed up. But the temple's still in ruins. God says, you need to consider your ways. God challenges them and says, you're incorrect. Verse 6 says, your lives have not been as fruitful as they would have or could have been if you would have made me your priority. God says, you need to consider your ways. I have caused heavens to withhold and called for a drought. Have you ever wondered why nothing good's happening in your life? Could it be, based upon what Haggai said, the Lord said, no, not until they get themselves right with me. Why would I give them everything they want? God's just crushing me right now with this truth, church. God is frustrated with his people. They seem to be doing everything else but the very thing that God called them to do. What started as troubling, discouraging, fearful attacks by the adversaries has now allowed God's people to cause them to lose sight of him altogether and stop building they had fallen away. You know, I could blame busy schedule, age, health, cancer. I could blame all those things for why I'm not running. And everybody I know would give me a pass. But do you know why I'm not running? I chose not to. What began as obstacles pulled me away into laziness. And God showed me that on Monday. He said, see, you can do this run. That's why I was bound and determined Friday I was going to run again. Was it a good run, Jeff? No, it hurt. It was awful. It was like the beginning days. But you know what was cool about it? Is I walked inside and I'm going, I just ran twice in the past four days. Maybe, maybe I can get this going again. And you're going, Jeff, running's not important. Agree. But you guys get the point, right? Israel could say, well, we didn't build the temple because they were mean to us. We didn't build the temple because there was a letter written about us. We didn't read the temple because, because, because. And all God says, well, hold it. In all that stuff, you didn't stop doing everything else in life. Man, what a great challenge to the church. Scripture says that they received the word of Haggai. That the leaders got inspired. Now, I'll tell you what. Your leader, your pastor may not be perfect because he's not. But I'll tell you this. There's no shortage of enthusiasm, desire, and willingness to push and lead by example. And that's why I want you praying for me. Because, see, I got a chance to be two kinds of leaders. I could be the ones that fail God and then fail you. Or I can be the one who prioritizes God 
and then succeeds for you. That's why you need to pray for this leader. But this leader also needs to pray for you. And it says in Haggai that the people also were moved by the word of God. And they all got back to work. Now we're quickly going to look at Ezra 5 and then we're closing. Let me give you a quick summary of what happened after that. And I want to encourage you, read chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ezra after this, and you're going to go, wow, that meant a whole lot more to me now that we've sort of talked about it a little bit more. But let me tell you what happens. In chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, we meet a guy named Tatanai who challenges Israel. If you read that, he says, who said you could build? He took a position of authority in their lives because he had effectively stopped them already. It's almost like we got to get permission to do what God's called us to do. He said, who told you you could build? And he took their names and he wrote it down and he wrote a letter to King Darius. I read a little note here. Tats and I, I started calling him Tattletail. <laughs> Sorry, just a mind to Jeff. I can't stop it sometimes. In chapter 5, verses 6 through 17, Tatanai writes a letter to the king, giving him history, telling the king what he thinks the king should do. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, King Darius responds in a letter to Tatanai. And he basically says, my grandfather, Cyrus, issued the decrees for the Jews to go home and rebuild the temple. In verse 7, he says, let the work of this house of God alone. He tells Tatanai the tattletale. He says, you leave them alone. I've called them to work. God's speaking through the king now. Because remember, it was the God who told the king to let them go to begin with. But get this. If you read in chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, summary. And I'm going to raise the taxes in your region. And you are to give all of the proceeds of those increased taxes directly to the Jewish people for their rebuild. And you are to keep their herds for all their sacrifices stocked so that they don't ever have a shortage of animals. And then let me read verses 13 to 15 of chapter 6 of Ezra. Just, it says here, Then Tatnai, governor of the region around the river, and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent, so the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edu, and they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which is the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Now, if you've kept up with all these numbers, it was the second year of King Darius that they began to rebuild. You guys remember that? After 18 years of doing nothing. In the sixth year of King Darius, they completed that. That's four years to build it. Here's the sad story. It took them 22 years, 18 of doing nothing, four of doing something. 22 years to do what they could have done in four years. I wonder what could have been accomplished in a faithful 22 years. 
And that's where we all find ourselves right now. Your lives are either being faithful, compromised, or you're considering quitting right now because of your adversaries. C.S. Lewis wrote a small book titled The Screwtape Letters. The premise is a series of letters between the manager devil named Screwtape and his underling devil named Wormwood. The topic of the letter is Wormwood's efforts to draw the young Christian away from the faith. Throughout the book, Screwtape, Satan, advises Wormwood on effective strategies for rendering Christians' faith useless. He assures Wormwood that a, quote, moderated religion is good for us as no religion at all. Don't you catch what he just said? If you get them to compromise or get discouraged or be troubled, they'll back up and they won't be as faithful, but they think they are. That's the perfect place because God gets no glory out of a moderated faith. And then he makes this statement. Theological compromise and acquiescence, a giving in to social pressure, undercut and destroy the essence of faith and render it but a parody. You know what that means, a parody? In today's world, it could become a meme, a joke. Are you discouraged? Are you compromising or being challenged to? Have you allowed your fear to stop you from doing what you know God has called you to do? Or have you allowed your personal ambition to stop you from doing what God has called you to do? You're just calling it all those other things. Church, we cannot be surprised when the world misunderstands or takes a counter position to our Christian faith. We must understand that our only call, our only call is to faithfulness. Anything less would not be called faithfulness. And there is no victory short of faithfulness. Amen? I read this and I'm going, man, Lord, you're really jumping on me. You're really pushing me this week. And God is good that way. And I felt it because... I needed to be pushed. I pray that you'll allow God to have his way in your life. I'm not sure where you sit, but I'm willing to walk with you as you start getting back to what God's called you to do. Just imagine, this church will get something done in the next 22 years. I believe that we'll get more done if we're faithful for all 22 than we will if we figure out how to be faithful four years of that 22. Man, do you know I'll be almost 80 then? Isn't that crazy? I'll be, I'll be just having my 79th birthday when that 22 years is over. I'm going to make a note when I get back to my office. Jeff, remember to check the church's position 22 years from now. I hope you're still faithful then. I hope I am too.
Church, let's stand and, and pray with each other. God's given us a lot to consider and a lot to think about. And we finish the book of Ezra next Sunday. Finish, Jeff, we just got through six. Right, so your homework is seven, eight, nine, and 10. Come ready. It's good. Let's pray.